When you eat waffles, um, do you how do you put, how do you put the syrup on? All right, so this is really um, a personal thing, right? It really is. The syrup how do I not in, know this about you? The syrup goes in every square. Yeah. Same girl, same. Same girl, same. Yeah. Right. Just slowly okay. kind of back and forth with the syrup. No. Just let it kind of dribble out or do you, no. do you squeeze? Uh, no, I fill up. I don't know. Ted, that's sloppy to just go back and forth. Like I fill up Ted. every waffle hole. No, every waffle kind of, hole. If you slowly bring it no. back and forth. No, no, absolutely not. So that natural mm-hmm. peanut butter is, it doesn't have added sugar. That's, can we right? talk is that correct? Conflict. Yeah. Yeah. It's just yeah. peanuts and oil. Um, yeah. Kristen, can you talk to me about how that works for you? Having to stir your peanut butter? No, it doesn't. I am a go to the pantry, get the jar, stick the spoon in the jar. See, it's so funny because it is paradoxical to the time I will take to fill up the maple syrup in each yes. hole on the waffle, mm-hmm. but my peanut butter, no, okay. just, I just, I just need that peanut butter and don't stand in the way with that oil that you have to mix up. And it's not creamy when you do that. It's like bleh. the hollow buddy. And we all feel hollow sometimes. Greetings and salutations, bunnies. Whether you're a hollow bunny or a solid bunny, I don't know. I don't know what you are, but you're a bunny. Uh, welcome to the Hollow Bunny Leadership Podcast. I'm Kristen Zeman, and I'm here with my stunning peanut butter loving <laughs> co-host Sylvia Moyer. Treats on the peanut butter loving. Oh uh, yes. Yeah, so how how are you? Know. How are you, Syl? You know, I'm delish. How are you, little love muffin? Huh? I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I, I had a broken nose. My nose is healing. So uh, the bruising is almost gone, but it hurts when uh, I put glasses on. Uh, because I need glasses now because, you know, I'm in my 50th year. And so things are getting hard to see. And so I have to wear glasses and they hurt my broken nose because I broke it right on the bridge. So other did than that, want, I'm, you, I'm lovely. Did you want to tell our listeners how you broke said nose so dramatically? Oh, Syl, thank you so much for asking and for setting this up. I mean, it was, you know, a, an armed robbery. There I was uh, in a gas station buying some kombucha. Uh, <laughs> when someone walked up gut health. because yeah. gut health is so important. There I was buying some kombucha and a man uh-huh. with a mask walked in mm-hmm. and I wrestled him and with the butt of the gun, he hit me in the nose and Woo! the fight was on. Um, I mean, it was honestly, it was remarkable. So all the boxing I've been doing on my supernatural virtual reality, uh, you know, I've done that in your living room. Uh, it looks you, funny, but you have I have video of this. I have video. <laughs> yeah, in my mind, I look like Muhammad Ali, but uh, in real life, I look like I'm swatting flies. Um, okay. Anyway, here's what actually happened. Okay, so no robbery. <laughs> no Did robbery. Kombucha. That was all. We, that was all we... a lie. That was all okay. a lie. You got the kombucha, but there was no robbery. Okay, There's so no robbery. the nose. The nose. No. So uh, all my all my children came home for uh, came to Florida for Christmas, and they were all outside in the pool and they said, Hey, can you turn the the lights on in the pool? And I went, sure. And I wasn't running, but I was walking with purpose, maybe a skip or a gallop as it were. And unbeknownst to me, the sliding glass door on my uh, patio was full on closed and pow. I uh, I hit that thing so hard, like blood was spurting everywhere. And once the kids realized that I wasn't 
dying actually uh then they were pretty relentless but uh yeah in two instant black eyes the following morning and uh it was super 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 dramatic well see now there's a number of ways this crisis could have been averted you, you think know. maybe like like opening the door you think well, something uh well there's always that but then there's you know what you little bastards uh you're home for christmas you get up and turn on the lights that's right. cool. okay that's one option right? <laughs> you are grateful little best okay um there's also like if you hadn't been so athletic and lean there would have been other body parts of you that would have hit the door before the nose i i appreciate this i, I appreciate like this if help. you were a big booby lady yeah the nose, yeah that could have cushioned it there might have yeah. been yeah there might have been something that yeah. could have saved the nose uh, maybe if you walked, you know, pelvis first instead of so perfectly erect and yeah. So then I could have cracked a pelvis. Is that perhaps you're just looking for another thing to break yeah. instead of the nose? I'm I don't know. Out. I don't know. So how are you? Enough about me. How are you? I'm fantastic right now. I'm um, in uh, northern Arizona and it's burr burr about to snow while you're in, you know, you're. 65 degree uh talking about the pool i mean we come we appeal to our listeners from all kinds of places we're so relatable we are (laughs) people can totally connect with us right so there's a super interesting thing you and i've been talking about and uh, you know this leadership stuff we do there are lessons everywhere and we've been exploring comfort and we've been talking about this, and I find it super, super interesting that I am noticing moments of discomfort in places and times in my life that my reaction is, oh, okay, I'm going to turn on the seat heater. Or I thought it was atrocious this morning when I got into my car and the steering wheel heater was not on. Yeah, yeah, Sad. I feel that. I feel yeah. that. But I'm doing, I'm doing great. I'm solid out on the West Coast. And you seem solid on the East Coast. And I am. Mm. So, so let's talk about this thing. yeah. So let's talk about that because we were on the telly because uh, you and you and I we often talk uh, outside of this podcast. I know it's crazy, but and we were actually having a conversation about just that when you said uh, that that's it. We live in a world right now where we are constantly seeking comfort. So then you said we. Uh, you said you just heard of this book called The Comfort Crisis. And Mm -hmm. so we both picked it up and we decided to start a little book club because, you know, we're super- Is it a club if it's just- I don't know. Is is that a club? It's very exclusive. It's very exclusive. Oh, you know who I did invite to our club? You'll love this. Our our first international guest, Michelle Davey, she read the book as well. Did she say yes? Where is she right this minute? I honestly should have invited her on this. So maybe in the future, we just like, yeah, we have like co-hosts or wait, what's a try host, try hosts. Sure. But yeah, so I talked about it with her said, You know, no, Reese Witherspoon. I don't know. She hasn't called me back. Super awkward. You know what? I've got three voicemails from her uh, and I'm sure she was trying to get to you. She, I I think she was looking for you to, yeah, going through me, but. Yeah. yeah. But so did you, so you read the book, right? This was a yes. great conversation. So I will have to say there were times in the book. I, it, it was, some of it was a little snoozy for me. So, but it could be because mm-hmm. I have the attention span of a Cocker Spaniel. Maybe that's why. Oh, Cocker Spaniels are so cute. 
I have cute noses too. So your don't, nose, yeah, don't, works. Don't, all, please don't. It all works. Too soon, yeah. buddy. Too soon. Uh, so there were some times in there, and I don't know, maybe it was just about like his hunting excursion or something, but I was a little snoozy for some of it, but I, I there were so many highlights that I made in this book. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and one of the first ones was, we are living progressively sheltered, sterile, temperature controlled, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. overfed, under-challenged, safety-netted lives. And it's limiting the degree to which we experience our, quote, one wild and precious life. Right, <sighs> sister? Right. Okay. So what do you think about that? Uh, preach. That's really yeah. what brought us here, right? We're having yeah. this conversation about recruiting in the corporate world, recruiting in law enforcement. We're talking about how everything is designed to get us comfortable. And that absolutely grabs it, right? And so some of those that were really, that's remarkable to me because it also builds on what do we do about it? And how does that affect our leadership? Uh, leadership is really not designed to make people comfortable. And I could argue, and I think we could both argue that a lot of leadership per Marty Linsky, right, is is bringing the heat, increasing our capacity for the heat, being uncomfortable, right? Challenging people so that so that they think, right? And and so talk to me. You're about to say something. Yeah, no, I don't. I, I just, every time you say something like I, 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 it's like we share a brain, so I, I can we finish each other's wish. peanut butter sandwiches. Um, think about that. Just think about your career. Looking back in your career, career and the milestones of your career, or the things that you are most proud of, I will I will venture a guess that they were also the most challenging. Hmm. Kristen Zeman, you and I have talked about this before. Yes, and I have failed more than I've succeeded. And when Marty Linsky said, hey, when you disturb the personal and institutional equilibrium that people know, that's when you're leading. When we disturb our own equilibrium, we are out of uh, homeostasis, right? We grow. When we fail, we grow. But what are we doing? We're really, I think, in society, we are so rapid to eat, to drink, to make ourselves comfortable that we are not adapting to the discomfort. And so we are stagnant. And that's really what we're talking about. Um, I do want to say that I loved parts of the book, the highlights I dig. They're really those pieces that I'll nibble on. It will fill this, this leadership bunny, right? All the hunting stuff. Yeah. It was a little tough. (laughs) Yeah. Right. There was some that was tough. Um, So when we talk about that, Let's talk about, I think, what do you do since really challenging this idea? What are you doing uh, about comfort in order to continue to grow in this world? So I think there's a couple things that we need to come at here. And I love that you mentioned leadership and, and organizations because it'll we talk about change in organizations. We often hear about transformational leaders. Those are the kind of leaders that actually cause that kind of discomfort that you speak of because the person who goes in and remains status quo, they're not taking any risks. They're staying the same, which means the organization is staying the same. 
so I think it's important that we we diverge on two topics. One, you know, the organizational leadership and yeah. and finding that sweet spot. But let's drill down on applying it to our personal lives, is to, to sure. us as individuals, because that's where we're all leaders, regardless of what your formal position or title is. Uh, you know, you're a leader in your organization. You're a leader in your life, and so I think that's where we have to begin talking about. The discomfort. So what what do I do? I like you, I look back and I found the things that I were most afraid of. Um, you know, applying the first time for the promotional test, you know, Ooh. thinking, oh my gosh, I I I can never be a sergeant. That's crazy. You know, there's you know, two female sergeants in my mid-size agency. There's no way I could do that. And so then when you put yourself out there, uh, that I think that's the key. But throughout my life, I've, I've said this a million times is that I've tried really hard to be brave at sucking at something new. And I think that's what you already hit on is everybody's so afraid to fail. You're just afraid. What, why don't you pursue that thing? Why don't you leave the relationship that no longer serves you? Why don't you start a relationship that you, you know, serves you, but there's a risk. You may get your heart broken, right? So, I mean, that's leaving your comfort Okay, are we really afraid to fail? Are we afraid to be uncomfortable? I've really backed away from we're afraid of failure. No I mean, kidding. I have. I don't think. Say we're more afraid. about that. I think we're afraid of being uncomfortable. It's scary. It's awful to be embarrassed. All of the things that occur. Um, I was reading something by Orrin J. Sofer, and he said this: seeking relief from pain or discomfort through distraction or pleasure. It it helps a beleaguered nervous system, but the danger in that is when the choice to seek relief becomes a chronic reflex to anything uncomfortable. Mm, that's like, why people, yeah, that's why people delve into surfing Netflix, right? I mean, you just go down the Netflix hole, you start surfing on your phone, yeah. Yeah, because he said this, over time, what happens is we become incapable of tolerating even the smallest amount of pain without immediately doing something to change it. That's mm -hmm. what we're talking about. And so what you're talking about is you endeavor to seek something that is uncomfortable, something that you may suck at, something that someone may go, damn girl, bitch crazy she did that, right? Yeah. Or that you really tried it and it did not go as planned. That is uncomfortable. And when the chronic reflex is for Kristen Zeman or any leader, any human to consistently get away from what is uncomfortable, our nervous system doesn't adapt, right? Yeah. And we're not scientists. We're speaking as, as kind of students of life, right? But filling your bunny Kristen Zeman is trying it, being uncomfortable, sucking yeah. at it, growing from it. And how do we cultivate that in others? And then what is the what is the outcome typically of that? Mm -hmm. What have you found? So that's interesting, especially that as you move away from failing to just simply discomfort. Right. Um, yeah, no, that actually, that makes sense to me because I think that failure is something like on a larger scale is, you know, what if I don't succeed at this thing that I'm about to mm -hmm. pursue? So I, I think, and we may even be talking about the same thing, but just on a smaller scale is the everyday discomfort. Um, one thing I loved about this book, and I think that we are in a place and time 
uh, where we don't allow stillness or, uh, or what, what the book calls, you know, boredom, right. Is that instead right? of sitting or when we're standing in line, right. I mean, I travel, as you know, weekly and I, I stand in line, I'm sitting at the airport and nobody is having conversations. Everyone is looking at their phone. And so we don't lean into boredom or stillness. And yes. what's so interesting about that. And I love what the book said is that, uh, people want to say that boredom, it makes you, it, you, you get into this rut and you start to fill in this void, but what it does is keeps you from being creative because that's where, uh, we are all creative Great. beings. We were born that way. And, and it, when we don't take that time to sit and tap into our thoughts, our stillness, and, and that's where all the, all creativity is born. Yeah. And so we're not doing that. We're just ingesting the stuff of the world, right? I mean, taking it all in and we're not, we're not creating ourselves. And so I don't know. I think that's part of the issue that we're having now. Well, and we've talked about that in terms of stoicism on page 105, I highlighted this. And so despite what productivity gurus will have us believe the key to improving productivity and performance might be to occasionally do nothing at all. Yes. And and I guess I push back on boredom because my mama uh, always said, you're a moyer, only boring people get bored. Yep. You should be still and just let that condition be. But you yeah. are never bored. No, right? that's true. Yeah, same. I push yeah. back on that just as I push back on failure, right? I totally agree. That's exactly what my parents told me too. You're bored? Well, go do something. Go draw, go color, go, you know, like boredom is a choice. You know, you, mm-hmm. can, you know, but, but it says, however. yes. And it says silence is worth seeking, even if it's uncomfortable at first. And I'll tell you what, you know, as a person who has struggled with that sitting still and that mindfulness, I struggle with it. I, I, I think that 10 minutes have gone by and two have gone by. I feel like I've, I'm sitting forever, but then once I get into it, then that is where some of the best ideas pop in. And I, you know, I get these, that's where that creativity is born. And so we're, but instead we're just chasing, we're just chasing everything else, all of the external forces. And we're not sitting in stillness where, where we should be. Right. It's, it's fascinating to me because some of the most excruciating times that I've had and uncomfortable times are where I have the gotta goes. My friend, Cynthia Ellis called it the gotta goes. She's like, oh, I gotta go. You know, that rising in, you've gotta go do something. You've gotta move. Uh, the most uncomfortable times are when I've got the gotta goes and I still have to stay. I have to notice it and stay present. Yeah. And so that really led to kind of my practice. And I think we explore our own practices so that it helps, you know, folks really think about this. Right. And part of part of my practice has been stillness that, you know, I'm a meditator. I was a skeptic, but I meditate. I'm in silence. I am in nature. I am still. And so I have a practice of at least 10 minutes of stillness each day. Not a lot, but it's enough. I also, to experience that discomfort, right? And to just let my mind be. Um, So I meditate in the morning, I meditate at night, and then I have some stillness. The other thing that I do, Kristen Zeman, I'm not sure if I even told you this, but um, I have for quite some time had a fasting day. Mm-hmm. And you'll remember on the, in the book, The Comfort Crisis, page 137, the Japanese call it, I don't know what the word is, kuchibashi, kuchibashi, yes. kuchibashi, 
right? That's okay, right. which Comments literally belly. means lonely mouth and describes our constant mindless eating. I couldn't recall the last time I experienced stomach deep hunger lasting more than a day is what the author wrote. And what I've done for several years is I have a fast, a 24-hour fast, where I fast from usually Monday at 1 p.m. to Tuesday at 1 p.m. Mm-hmm. And what I do is I am in discomfort, particularly yeah. when I'm going to sleep. I drink hot water. I have discomfort and I drive through the discomfort. I notice it. I go to sleep. It adds some human kind of element because I do a meditation and I say, I'm doing this by choice. And there are millions of people that do this every day because they have no choice. My discomfort, I will notice it, but not satiate it. Yeah. So you've just moved from, you've moved into from emotional discomfort to physical discomfort. And I loved how the book was split into those categories because I don't often think about the physical discomfort for me, because I'm very goal oriented. I I think about, you know, moving through that, you know, mental discomfort of, you know, perhaps failing or if it doesn't work out, things like that. And so it was really interesting for me to read about the physical discomfort. And, you know, you mentioned it, you know, you know, in kind of in jest, but you're right. You know, the, the, the butt warmers in our cars, you know, and, and now how, everything is just so fast and, um, and, and we don't, you know, things are delivered to us. You know, that was one thing the pandemic brought us was, you know, Uber Eats and DoorDash. It's not just pizza anymore that we get delivered. Uh, but I, I loved that, that whole notion of allowing yourself to feel that pain. And then the book describes how that pain then turns into this thing that becomes tolerable. And you probably experience it that in your, in your fasting, I haven't been that extreme. I, I do, I intermittent fast and I eat only from 11 to seven. So I just do this. You're more disciplined. Come on. You're more disciplined than I am. No, I just don't think I could go like you for a full day. So that's what I do. Walk into a glass door, break your nose. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. But I, but here's what he, what he said is that we don't take the time to say, wow, this hurts or this is, mm-hmm. you know, this is, this is really painful or uncomfortable. And, and then that brings me to the whole notion of it's only pain. Like if you acknowledge it and go, wow, this is really uncomfortable and doesn't feel great. And then you push through it. It's just pain. I mean, d- did you die? No. <laughs> That's what my dad used to say, but ow, this hurts. But did you die? No, I did not die. Okay. But <laughs> I, I, so the book really forced me to think about that physical pain and discomfort and to go, okay, let's just sit with it instead of trying to relieve it immediately. And that's what we do. We are, we are a society of abundance, any discomfort, we feed our faces, you know, we turn on the butt warmers, all of the things, you know, I mean, people don't exercise as much because you know what? It hurts. Yeah. It hurts. Exercise is, is if you're doing it right, it's probably not easy. So all of that physical. And then with the stoicism, then he went into um, the concept of, of our own mortality. That was an interesting part of the book is sitting with the concept that our death is imminent. What'd you think about that part of the book? Hmm. <laughs> you didn't love it? I, I don't know. I was more, uh, it, the beginning was more appealing because when he said, you know, in the model, it's got to be really fucking hard, but you can't die. Right. But then when we're talking about our own mortality, we have to face the discomfort of not being. Yeah. Is that the part that you're asking about? Yes. But that, but there's a, the premise to it. It says you, it's called, uh, 
uh, I'm going to mess up the word, mit, mita kappa. Mita, yeah, mita kappa. Um, and that is the notion uh, that of your, your own mortality, your death. And it says, you must think of it three times a day, once in the morning, once in the afternoon, and once in the evening. You must be curious about your death. But the whole concept is, is that the notion that death can come at any time, but we avoid it. And so, so the premise is because we know that we are here only for a limited time, then we must live. So we must put ourselves out there to that physical discomfort, that mental discomfort to do things that are going to challenge us. Basically to live this life until we're freaking used up and, you know, and at the end of our lives. So that's, that I thought it was inspiring. So it seems like to me, that was the least inspiring part of the book for you. And for me, that was like, yeah, man, let's do it. Which is skydiving, Sil. (laughs) We can we totally need to do it. We could do like a skydiving episode on our podcast. Well, all of this stuff, all of it is about attention, intention, and really questioning the way that we live this life. It's yeah. it's no different than questioning the way we lead people. What yeah. fills our bunny? It's, yeah. it's no different. It's no different. How do you find the sweet spot in an organization when, you know, I... I know that when I came in as chief, there were a few comments made that I was moving at lightning speed and and it was uncomfortable for people. And Uh so I had to pull back a little bit because I was like, I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to do all of these things. And, and that made people uncomfortable. So I had to, you know, I had to like, I had to hit the brakes for, for Mm -hmm. just a moment. So what, what about that is like, we know that we need to be challenged and uncomfortable. And I will also I, I, I'm going to posit that it's not the actual change. Once you get to that point where the change happens, everybody is like, okay, cool. It's, it's the leading up to the change. It's the going through it until you get to the other side is really what is the most painful part. Cause once you get to the, the change itself, you're through it. Right. But how do you temper that in an organization when you know it needs to grow and to transform, but how do you temper the speed? So it's, it doesn't, you know, freak people out. Sure. I think there are a number of things that you and I have both learned, and that is that we have to change at the capacity that they can tolerate, not what we can tolerate. Because typically we're in the seat because we're heart charges and we get shit done. Yeah. Right. And yep. there's this art of the long view. Right. And so I just think we have to remember to view leadership as an activity rather than Uh, a set of personal characteristics or traits. And that activity needs to be done at the pace in which the entire team can perform. There are going to be people that are going to be more adaptive and more open to change, uh, but there are going to be people that really struggle. So I think the leadership imperative is not to make everyone comfortable going right back to this, but it is to at least have a consciousness that our leadership is an activity, that it is an activity that um, we engage in with a group of people to bring it forward. Does that resonate in any way? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I think that there's something interesting there too, because you notice that there are 
you know, what we call early adopters that it's used, it's a term used in technology, right? And so early adopters, and then what typically happens is these early adopters are the ones, you know, that, uh, that, that adopt this, this idea or this technology. And in this case, it would yeah. be, you know, a change. And then what happens is the ones who, the lag, uh, are finally get to a point, it's that tipping point where then everyone signs on, right? And that's how you start a movement as yeah. that then people sign on to it. And then finally, the only people who are left behind have to look at each other and go, well, geez, we might as well get on, you know, that rocket ship that's going somewhere or right. they're going to leave without us. And so, um, and, and that's okay. I mean, and the, all organizations are made up of that, but the leader has that challenge of finding the regulating that speed for which the rocket ship is going. And, you know, and there's a lot of people who would push back on this and Steve jobs like him or hate him, you know, often said that, you know, leadership is about taking people where they don't even know they need to go, you know, it's like, and so yeah. there's something there. So that's where the visionary part comes in, yeah. but you have to remember you're also, it's every person on your team. And so, you know, you can't just appeal to the early adopters that are ready to, you know, hit that turbo button and go, you have to make sure that the entire organization is with you. So I think that's right. where that comes in. So as we kind of uh, give our listeners on their drive or treadmill or wherever they're listening, what are the, the, the nuggets you really want them to consider in terms of this comfort, discomfort in self and kind of in their space? What are yours? And I have a couple. So I, I think the thing that in applying to my own life, there was a lot of affirmations that I got from sure from this book. Uh, by the way, it's by Michael Easter in case we didn't mention the author's name. Uh, but for me, it was the, it was the validation that we have to seek, seek out discomfort and in, in our personal lives yeah. and our professional lives. And, and I think that that's where we get, we become stagnant in, in our lives is that we just get to, even with our, our relationships. So, you know, we get so comfortable with people that, you know, we maybe stop right. trying, right? right. You know? And so I think that's where the greatest gains in our life come from is when we, we truly put our comfort aside and we say, this is new, this is hard, and I'm going to do it anyway. So that's the biggest takeaway, but it's a lot easier said than done for most of us. Sure. There was a quote that I highlighted. It says, new research shows that depression, anxiety, and feeling like you don't belong can be linked to being untested. Mm -hmm. And so the real nudge to me was test yourself with something, whether mm -hmm. it is uh, for a lot of listeners, it's like, gosh, should I should I um, sit down with my partner, my spouse, and explore uh, a relationship class, break apart this the relationship and see where we can strengthen it? That's uncomfortable. That's untested. It is. Yeah. At work, uh, in policing, we are really good at running toward danger and safeguarding people, rescuing people. We mm -hmm. suck at having courageous conversations. Yes. Maybe we test ourselves and we sit down and we say, hey, colleague, hey, trusted person, let's create a space and let's talk about how you show up. Yeah, that's let's, great. Right? So, that's so let's test it. Lean into what might be uncomfortable. Give yourself some grace, right? Also, mm -hmm. stillness. Also, uh, I, I would encourage if we are uncomfortable 
um, in terms of hunger or temperature or something else that brings us uncomfortable. Start small and say, take a deep breath, notice the discomfort and work through it and start building that capacity before you go super, super hardcore on some of the other affirmations of discomfort. I, I love that. And uh, yeah, and I just want to grab one thing because I know that uh, a lot of our listeners are leaders and I I just got back from Louisville Metro PD uh, talking to their Leadership Development Institute. So all executives from from there. And the hardest thing that they identified was having hard conversations, having courageous conversations with people. And you know what's so interesting about whether it's a relationship, a friendship, you know, romantic or otherwise, um, is the hard conversations honestly are what strengthen the relationship and bring people closer together. The same is with a, a leadership uh, a relationship as well. Um, someone that you work with for, it, it doesn't matter. I can tell you the times in my life where I had the most uncomfortable conversations and where someone was telling me, Hey, here is how you can be better. Yeah. Uh, very uncomfortable. And yet those were the, the conversations that served me best. And then when I learned how to have those conversations with people, uh, and I think that discomfort, as long as it comes from a place of sincerely caring and wanting wanting, you know, that person to get better and the relationship to get better. So I think that's the discomfort that maybe, you know, we land on that. Let's start there with something small, have a courageous conversation because leadership is not for the faint of heart. It's uncomfortable. Uh, But that's why, that's why there are so few leaders. Right. So what we're hearing is, Hey, you feel your bunny and you become a legitimate solid bunny contributing differently in the space that you're in, the space is that you're in and where you're leading by being uncomfortable, by testing yourself, by really showing up in a way um, that is, I don't want to say edgy, but maybe I'll say edgy. Maybe. Yeah, maybe it is. There's, I mean, there's something there. There's, you know, it's that risk taking that's edgy walking to the edge, call it edgy, use it. It works. Yeah. All right. So we talked about this, the comfort crisis, this book. I actually learned about this in a conversation with a deputy in the locker room. She's mm-hmm. remarkable. We're calling it Wisdom Wednesday because it's like we all gather in the locker room. We're talking about who's doing what, who's reading what. Yeah. And they talk about the Hollow Bunny podcast, I might add. Uh, and, and so this whole notion of comfort she brought up, hey, there's this book by Michael Easter called The Comfort Crisis. And that's what really brought us here, our churnings around how do we lead? How do we continue to to lead in a way that reflects we are solid bunnies in this whole world? Um, and this came up and we dove in and, and read it. I think there's some real nuggets to chew on here for us as individuals and for us collectively in the in the hollow bunny space. Absolutely. Well, uh, Michael Easter filled our bunny uh, with peanut butter, with peanut butter. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) uh, Mm -hmm. So thanks for that. And if any, any of our millions of listeners, our bunnies out there have uh, a great book that you want to toss our way. We are our our little book club. That's uh, right now, two people, maybe 2.5. And one interloper, Michelle Davey. And with Michelle Davey. So it's Uh it's basically an international book club. (laughs) (laughs) It is. So, yeah, so we'll, let's start doing that. Let's have conversations about ideas and let's, you know, let's debate them as well. You know, I, I love, I love the dissent, you know, AKA failure versus discomfort. That's good. 
And can we argue that we don't have to give up our seat warmers um, at all? We can choose yeah. comfort there, but let's look at the bigger field of view. I love it. I love right. it. Well, with that, thanks to all of our millions of listeners. This podcast is produced by Ted Madden, and the song you're about to hear is written and performed exclusively for this podcast by my son. If you like the podcast, please subscribe, like, review, and tell everyone you know about it. If you don't, just move along. Nothing to see here. Bye, everybody. Keep walking. Goodbye. When you look inside, what do you find? Are you content to fall behind? When you lose your way and you've lost your why? Have courage and get ready to fight the hollow buddy. Fight the hollow buddy. And we all feel hollow sometimes. But the lobsters are only in your mind. It's a tough pill to swallow, but if you're brave and kind, you'll be alright. If I know I'm gonna fall, but I'll pick it up and come back stronger, failing forward and moving onward, doing the hard thing and the right thing, forever fighting the hollow bunny. And we all feel hollow sometimes, but the monsters. Yeah.